Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? All right, for today's episode, we are going to do something a little bit different. And if it means do one of these for a while, and I think what I'll do is I will integrate them every so often because one, they're a lot of fun for me because I love solving people's problems. And two, there are a lot of these to answer. So today we are doing an open Q&A session. So basically anyone who has asked a question at a conference, a workshop, an event through Facebook, through our website, uh, through our courses. I always save those questions and I usually answer them one by one uh, at the end of our podcast episodes. But I thought it might be fun to do an episode where I just do a Q&A, where I just pick some of the questions off the sheet and openly answer them. So that is what we are doing today and look for these in the future. And If you have a question that you are dying to have answered, send that question through the website and um, any of the website uh, contact forms will come right to me. So just let me know what question you have to answer. You want answered on the podcast and we will answer it. And I'll even try and save your email and let you know when that podcast is published (laughs) so that you know when your answer comes out. Okay. Let's start with the first one. So we're kind of all over the board here. The first listener question is, how do I prevent a child from having a full-blown meltdown? I want to nip it in the butt, bud before behavior escalates. Um, well, <laughs> meltdowns are emotional responses and usually a response to an unmet need needed something, didn't know how to ask for it because it's a young child. They don't always know how to ask for what they need and they rarely know how to ask for what they need. And so that resulted in elevated emotions. Elevated emotions came out in tantrum. That's pretty typical for, for young kids. So how do we stop it before it happens? Well, for one, I am going to kind of work on an emotion. I'm going to work on teaching and educating and practicing and modeling emotional state changes because that's that's what that is a a tantrum is an emotional state change you were okay you're really not okay now pretty quickly just like kids can change their state in that kind of not so pleasant and sort of negative way and go into like a negative state they can also change their state from negative to positive so what i use is these four colored zones is blue and um, yeah, blue and then green and then yellow and then red. 
So for young kids, I'll use this because I like the four category system because it kind of gives you a category for each series of emotional states. Blue is low energy, tired, sick, sad, green is optimal energy, happy, focused, listening. Yellow is that period of time where they're getting out of control, but they haven't lost control. So maybe getting wiggly or silly or frustrated. And then red is complete loss of control. So if I can teach a child that there are these four different colored zones, four zones of emotion, and we all go through the different zones of emotion, then I can help them to recognize in themselves and help them to point out and label when their state changes. So the, the hope is that instead of going from green to red very quickly, that by introducing this chart, we can catch them going from green to yellow and then to red. And by catching them in yellow, you might be able to bring them back down before you ever get to red. And the more frequently you do that and you help them to, to see that, catch that yellow zone, they're unlikely to keep going to red because you're, you're building and working on systems in the brain and muscles and that teach emotional regulation and that keep kids more neutralized. So I spend a lot of time teaching the zones, modeling it, stating my own zone, stating my zone in response to a child's behavior, helping my child or the child see other kids' behaviors and, and zones, uh, people in the community. So I'll say like, ooh, that friend is in the red zone because they are yelling, because they knocked over their friend's tower. That friend is in the blue zone because they're not feeling well today. I am in the yellow zone because there are toys all over this living room. So whatever it may be, stating the zone, helping them to recognize the zone, helping them to recognize their own zone. And if they can catch which zone they're in, or you can guide them to help figure out which zone they're in, we can then do the secondary part, which is teach them how to get back to green. Because the goal is always to get back to green because green is neutral. The problem with tantrums and meltdowns is they enter into this elevated state, red zone. And when you're in the red zone, you lose access to logic and reason, rationality, more of that impulsivity shows up. So as adults, as kids, we, we all can enter into that zone and, and often do. It's knowing when you're there and knowing that you don't have access to your logical, reason, reasonable, rational brain uh, that we can do something to get back down to yellow or hopefully even to green because that's when that's when your prefrontal cortex your thinking brain comes back online so we don't make good decisions more in the red zone so then i'm going to teach the child practice ways before they get upset not in the moment because again in the moment their their thinking brain is not accessible we're going to practice ways to get back to green deep breaths take a walk drink of water, uh, play a game, uh, go to a calm down space, run around the stairs, like whatever it is that might change a child's emotional state and it might work for them and different things for each, each child because every child's different. We practice those things and then I can cue them and remind them when they're in that yellow zone to use the thing that we practiced to come back down. So that's a little bit of a longer term and more invested fix though worth it because emotional regulation is a skill that a lot of kids are missing and that's why we have a lot of people developing <laughs> with lack of regulation skills and lack of executive functioning and like pre-planning organizational skills and a lot of impulsivity 
we're missing this, this component. We're missing emotional regulation and identifying states, emotional states and changing them. So this is a huge thing and an important thing to teach and worth investing the time. So that's what I would do. That's, that's where I would start. If you want to try and kind of distract and prevent the meltdown from happening when you're already in that like yellow zone, what you might be able to do is use humor. Humor helps kids to flip switch states pretty quickly from the emotional brain, that yellow red zone into your thinking brain, that green zone. So I might use humor in the form of making objects talk. I might do a funny dance, use a funny voice, uh, whatever I know my child connects with in terms of, of humor or a child connects with in terms of humor, that's what I'm going to use. And by doing that, you know, it might be a really stressful moment for me. If I can utilize humor, it's going to flip the child's emotional state. So that's what I would say about preventing meltdowns. Quick and easy that is more of a distraction and in the long term more invested want this to be a skill set they develop over the course of their lifetime if you have more questions about that i talk about this in the blog there are other podcast episodes about this and i developed an entire really two two courses around this particular topic that they're both on the website the first of which is i think it's from Dysregulation to regulation is a good one. And there is, I'm trying to think what the name of the other one is. I know what the topic is, but I'm trying to remember what the name is. Give me one second here. It is, drumroll please. Stress, trauma, and behaviors am I? So I talk about stress, which is essentially what this stems from. I talk about the brain. I talk a little bit about human trauma, which is just good to know because chronic stress can display as uh, trauma. Like some of the trauma responses, chronic stress are, are, the, are the same or have the same responses. So there's a behavior regulation course called stress, trauma, and the brain. And then there is a self-regulation course called from what emotions to tamed feelings. Learn how to help everyone self-regulate. So that's a good one. Okay, so that's more information if you want it. Uh, and if you really want more information, I'll ping me through email and I'll send you some resources like books and audiobooks and things like that. Children have a wide variety of emotions and it can be difficult to, to figure out what causes the response and uh, what is the function of the behavior? So yes and no. The problem is we're just moving through our day so fast and we just try and manipulate behavior and stop behavior. We don't really look to see what it's communicating. So it's not always that hard to figure out what the behavior's function is. If you slow down enough to really, di really dissect it. So again, to go back to courses, blog, podcasts, there is a series I did on the five needs areas. The five needs areas are the underlying root causes of these behaviors that we don't really love. So they're essentially your functions of behavior. 
So I would go back and listen to or read those. The course is the self-regulation course that talks about the five needs areas and teaches you how to kind of use these. But there are five needs that a child or a person has. And when one of those needs or multiple of those needs aren't met, that's when you see the behaviors crop up. So you've got the need for self-regulation or emotional regulation. I just talked about how to teach that. There is the need for control. There is a sensory need. There is a need for relationship, uh, attachment, bonds. And there is the need for, it's slipping my mind because I'm recording this at the end of the day. Control, did I say that? <laughs> so you've got <laughs> sensory, self-regulation, ah, physical, that's what it is. I said control twice, physical need. Okay, so what, what do these needs look like? Self-regulation is just the inability to regulate your emotions. Physical need is do they have enough food, water, sleep, shelter, warmth, all those things. Control need is do they have a say or do they feel like they're constantly losing and giving up control? Attachment relationship need is they're trying to build relationships with people and that typically comes out in the form of attention seeking. And the last one is sensory. So that's probably the hardest one to identify, but usually if you pay attention to like kids seeking sensory stimulation, like running into things, ramming into things, or being overwhelmed by sensory components, like the textures of things or the noise, the sound, the volume, uh, that will let you know if it's sensory need. Okay, so those are the five needs areas. <laughs> and what you wanna do is when behaviors come up, try to identify which of the five needs. And sometimes it's more than one. Sometimes it is multiple. And sometimes you're not really sure which one it is. Like, is it really that they're trying to get my attention and build a relationship or is it they're just dysregulated? So what I'll do is I can track these behaviors. I'll write this down and then I'll work on addressing one. So let's say, okay, I think it's attention seeking. I think they're trying to build a relationship. So I'm gonna put an intervention strategy in place to meet that need. If that doesn't work, then that might be an indicator that it is actually self-regulation, or maybe I need to work on both. So I determine which need it is. And again, you can go to the blog, podcast, courses to learn more detail about the needs and how to determine which need it is. Once you've determined the need, then you need to come up with a solution that meets the need. When the need is met, behavior stops. So if a child has a control need, they need to have a say. They usually struggle with transitions. They struggle with being told what to do. They struggle with being told what not to do. So how can we give a child a sense of control in those moments to still get compliance from them? It's a whole course on communication I wrote, and it has seven different ways to communicate with kids to give them control. And it doesn't mean that we're giving them control all the time. It just means that they need to feel a little bit of power, power and have some bit of a say. And that's okay. I don't need to always be the authoritarian figure ruling over my kids. I'm, I'm okay with them having control every now and then. That, that's fine. I think that's appropriate. I think that shows respect. So maybe it's communicating in a way where, let's, let me give you an example, an, a strategy called I see. So instead of telling them, what they need to do, which takes away their control, clean up your toys, put that away, stop doing that. 
which is a lot of our communication as adults to children, I am instead going to state what I see. I see blah, 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 that needs to go in this bin or in this place. I see whatever it may be. So you're, you're, you're posing a problem for them to solve. And the reason that this gives up control to them is because you're kind of guiding them in the direction that you want them to go, the thing you want them to do, but you're not saying do it, do it now, do it this way. So it gives them ownership over how to do that thing. And that makes them much more motivated and compliant and willing to do it. So in terms of figuring out the causes of behaviors or the functions of behaviors, if you can narrow it down to one or multiple of those five needs, find the evidence. What is the evidence that tells you it's that need? Record this information. And then think about, okay, what would be a strategy that would meet that need? What if that's the need the child is trying to get met and the behaviors are coming out because of that, how can I give the child that? And if you get stuck, go to the blog, the course of the podcast, because I gave you lots of examples. And if you really get stuck, email me on the website, because this is part of my coaching work that I do every day. When I work with a school, a family, we go through these five needs. We work on identifying them in, in certain kids. And then we work on coming up with interventions that meet those needs. So happy to help you brainstorm or coach you through how to, how to do this yourself. Because it's a very useful skill. It's not even just beneficial for kids. It's beneficial for some adults too. All right, last question. When do you not give control to children and how much control do you know how to give them? So this gets a little tricky because I think we think we need to have control over our kids all the time and you don't. And that comes in the form of like, I'm your parent. What I say goes, I'm the authority. You need to be respectful, but respect begets respect. So if you want respect from your children, you also have to respect them in the way that you communicate them and the way that you talk to them, how you talk down to them. So for me, my personal belief is that when I give a child control, I am saying, I trust you. And if they screw up, that's okay. We all learn, we make mistakes and we grow from them. But if I don't ever give control and I can't keep control over them all the time, that basically sends the message of like, I don't, I don't trust you to make a good choice. And I don't respect you enough to, to, to give this up. So I really start a question of, why do you feel like you need as an adult all the power and control or a lot of the power and control? Is that a deeply rooted belief that you don't actually believe? Is it because of loss of control in your own childhood? But what would it look like if you gave up more control to your child? And that's not saying let them run the whole household and do whatever they want. And there's never any consequence for action. It's just, how do we change our communication the way that we interact that shows more respect and says to the child, even a young child, I trust you to make a good decision here. So I am going to give up control and pass the power to you and allow you to hopefully make a good decision. And if you don't, we'll talk about it. We'll talk through it. I'll teach you. I'll guide you. And we'll hopefully end up in a better place next time. But if we don't ever give them the chance to do that, they become dependent on us and they become 
unaware of knowing who they are and what they enjoy and all these things in life where they, they don't really know, they don't have a sense of self because we have had and held so much control over them and told them what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Control is an interesting one. And giving up control to our kids not only builds stronger relationships and shows so much more respect, but it develops a fully functional, independent, capable being who has a strong sense of self. So I think that in a lot of ways we can think about how does giving up control, how, what does that look like? And what does what do microdoses of it look like? When I talk about this, there's a whole post devoted to this on the blog on the blog. There's a whole podcast episode devoted to this. And the communication course talks in a whole section about control. So uh, I would say in small doses first, you need to go from having all the control to having no control or giving up all the control. Um, but what does a small dose of getting up control look like? And what does inclusion of the child look like? And how can I teach independence and um, there's a term, uh, one of my favorite books, Hunt, Gather, Parent. There's a term called accommodito. And it talks about like accommodating and being part of the family unit and like taking ownership and taking responsibility. And that comes from us getting up control. That comes from us trusting that our kids are going to make the right decisions. So how can you, in micro small ways, give up control and trust your kids are going to make the right decision? I know that by doing so, you're breeding an independent being who later in life is probably going to make better choices because they've learned how to make them at a young age and then they've learned the consequence of making a poor one. And then there can be consequences for actions and there can be natural consequences for things that happen when you give up that control. And that's okay because it's a learning experience. So it's really down to your personal preference, but I would check in with yourself. Like, do I feel the need to have control because that's how I was raised? Because that's a belief I have, because that's a childhood trauma, where does my need from control come from? And then really figure out how much control do I want to get up to my, my children. No listener questions today because I just answered three listener questions. So I'm going to wrap up the show with our try at home tip, which is eating clean foods, eating not even just organic, but like beyond organic too. Are the foods like grown and processed in, in a way that is really conducive for our body because all these chemicals and hormones and pesticides and gen genetically modified foods, our, our bodies aren't able to digest and break down a lot of these artificial and synthetic materials. It over time starts to like <laughs> one deteriorate, wear away and health problems occur. So I have Americans have so many health problems, um, but it's just not good for your mental health, for your emotional health. So Eating clean foods really impacts your mood, your longevity, your health, all these different things. So that we know is not cheap. It's expensive to buy organic, clean foods. So what are some alternatives that we could use to get access to those things? There are lots of things. Look for hyper-local farmer's markets where you buy direct from the farmer. There's something called a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture whatever your typical season is for your area. This is where you buy again directly from the farmer. It's not at a farmer's market, but they usually have like crop shares and you opt into one of their crop shares. So they're different sizes, different amounts, but it's usually mostly produce. Sometimes there's protein and, and dairy as well, but you decide 
how big of a share you want. And every week or every two weeks or whatever you sign up for, the farmer has you pick up or sends you or delivers to you your crop share and you pay them, but you cut out the middleman of the grocery store. So you pay a lot less for cleaner organic food. You've also got options like Misfits Market and Imperfect Foods, which sell things that are overstocked or oversupplied or just look kind of funny. Uh, when things don't, when produce doesn't look as nice as the grocery stores wanted to, they won't sell it. So places like Imperfect Foods and Farmer's Market, or um, not <laughs> Farmer's Markets, <laughs> Imperfect Foods and Misfits Market both sell these kinds of things at a discounted rate because of just because the way they look and just because they look misshapen doesn't mean they taste any different so considering those options as well all right that's it for today's episode of returning to us podcast remember our try it at home tip which is csa farmers markets imperfect foods and misfits market they are all forms of getting clean organic produce cheaper. And if you would like me to answer one of your questions on a future episode or one of my Q&A episodes, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com, send a text to 717-693-7744, or just hop on the website, submit email message to anything on there, and that will go directly to me. And remember to lock in what you learned today by either teaching it to someone else, by commenting below or leaving a review on what you learned or any thoughts you have, or even shooting me an email to let me know what stuck out for you. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.